meaningful and grounded things that he talks about and he recorded of what Jesus did. So it just says in verse 1, one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. And there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. If you've got New King James or Old King James versions, you'll have a word called dropsy. Is that how you pronounce it? But it's abnormal swelling of the body. It's not paralysis, but it could have involved some element of that. But it's this swelling. In verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, <laughs> is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. <clears throat> so taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Obviously, he wasn't an invited guest, but they brought him into the um, room. Then he asked them, that's Jesus asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Can you imagine the, um, just as a little bit of insight, can you appreciate that they were grappling with their own, what do we do? Because Sabbath said, don't work on the Sabbath. That was the law of the Jewish um, um, truth. You know, don't work on the Sabbath. And they had this mindset that Jesus, if you healed people, you were being a... Um, that's a, the profession of a medical practitioner. You're healing people, so that's working. So they're upset with Jesus about that. But then Jesus says, if you had your own child fall in a well, wouldn't you pull it out? Isn't that the same thing? And so Jesus really kind of caught them out. and They were a bit dumbfounded. They didn't know what to say. Now, because they didn't know what to say, it says, so. <laughs> so he, had told, he told a parable to those who were invited because there was no discussion. And when he noted how they, he told the parable when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. And if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, come up to a, move up to a better place and then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be, what? Humbled. And those who, what? Humble themselves will be exalted. So the story unfolds. Jesus is at a prominent Pharisee's house on the Sabbath and at worst, he's sitting with his enemies because a lot of Pharisees hated Jesus. At best, he's seated with people who are sceptical about him. So probably not the friendliest atmosphere to go to a party. Would you agree? In fact, you and I usually don't go to those type of parties where we're hated or, or you know, thought of as you know, false. And so, but Jesus turns up. He's invited. He turns up. I got a feeling the Pharisees put a plant in there. They planted a man who was sick. Doesn't say that in Scripture, but I just got this sense that that's what they did because they wanted to catch Jesus out, and that's what Pharisees, probably the reason they invited Jesus to catch him out. That's why they took the woman who'd been you know, caught in adultery to Jesus to catch him out. They weren't really interested in the lady who was to be stoned. They just wanted to catch. So we see they, they're trying to maybe catch Jesus out, and so we see uh, it's not a friendly atmosphere um, and the truth is, of course, Jesus, they didn't have to wait too long to be upset with Jesus because he heals someone on the Sabbath and the man is released and he goes. And so, of course, we see this unfolds and, and Jesus asks the question, he, you know, he, he wants to have discussion, he's looking for their feedback, but they have nothing to say because I think they're grappling with the reality, of course, of fulfilling the law that they were so adamant about 
and so legalistic about, but also thinking, well, we would save our own child if it fell in a well. So they're grappling with mercy and, 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 and this whole legalistic thing. They're grappling with it in the heart. So they don't say a thing. And because they don't say a thing, Jesus says, well, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. Do you know what I mean by that? There was something happening in this mealtime that was a, like, you know, it was a big thing. But and if you're not quite sure what I mean by that, I'll explain it to you. So Jesus wanted to address the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room was there was a number of Pharisees or at least one Pharisee who decided to take it on himself that he would go and sit in the prominent seat in, around the meal table. He would take it himself to choose it himself and go and sit there. Because why would he choose a seat like that? Well, the, 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 the truth is he wanted to have the best seat so that he could be seen as important and others to give him some recognition. And that's why he chose that seat. And so Jesus noticed this. And really, another answer to that question, why did he choose that seat, is that he wanted to see, um, really, I think he struggled with the reality of his own importance. And it goes a little deeper than that, because um, as we look here, Jesus addressed an issue in this parable, this particular parable, um, that all humans and all of us here this morning, sometime in our life, I believe it's some way, and maybe not verbalized it, but in our hearts have thought, and maybe not even in, in thought it this way, but we do sometimes think this, and we question, um, this is what we ask. We ask ourselves, um, what gives me value? What gives me value? Because this Pharisee, or Pharisees who sat in the prominent place, so let me explain something to you about this, this prominent place situation in regards to the Jewish uh, Jewish. Um, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, the way that they conducted their meals and conducted feasts. You've got to understand that the place of honor that Jesus is talking about at wedding feasts or any other meals was always prominent. And so the Jewish tradition was that if anybody came in, there would always be at weddings, there would always be a prominent place where people would be um, asked to sit. And you were never, it was never your right to assume that that's where you should walk into the wedding feast and sit yourself because that wasn't the proper thing to do because it was always that you were to be ushered there. Because the truth is, is if you weren't the um, honored guest and you were asked to stand down and sit somewhere else, you would you would be humiliated. But in every feast, in every Jewish tradition, in every Jewish home, even around the family table, there's always the prominent position where the the most important person would sit. We do it today in our own weddings, don't we? The way that Aussies get around it is we name tag everybody's place. So no one gets upset. Isn't that true? Mind you, I still see people get upset when their name tag is right down the back. I thought I was closer to this bridal couple than that. I thought I had a bit more prominence in their life than that. And the truth is, the the tables closest to the bridal party is always reserved. It's always reserved uh, for the prominent relatives, namely the parents of the bride and groom. Isn't that right? So we try to get around it by just putting name tags in place. And they didn't have name tags. And in Jewish tradition, there was always, in actual fact, the the truth was, the prominent position sometimes was elevated. It was sometimes, it might have been only a few, maybe, you know, a little bit, a few centimeters, but it was still, everybody knew that was the prominent seat. Around the meal table, 
around the wedding feast, around the meal with anybody else in Jewish tradition. And they always knew there was a prominent seat. And that only the important people and the people who were closest to the bridal party ever got those prominent seats. Now, for this Pharisee to walk into this meal and take it on himself to go and sit there meant a couple things. Number one, it meant this, is that he was, um, he was showing everybody how important he was. Well, how important he thought he was. He was showing everybody how important uh, that he had to be to everybody else. In actual fact, if you sat in that seat, you actually were not classed just as important. You were classed as someone who had authority. In actual fact, even went a bit further in Jewish tradition, it said that not only had authority, but you, could, um, you, could, um, you had control over everybody else in the room when you sat in that position. Can you see how significant it was to sit in the prominent seat? Can you see why Jesus noticed some, this guy or this whoever it was walked in and sat there without being ushered there, without being promoted there. He took it on himself to promote himself. And the question I asked, I think, is at the core of this whole parable is, is that what value did this, where did his value come from for his own personal life to make such a decision to sit in the prominent seat? And I think we all ask that question at times. Because I think the Pharisee, um, the reality was is that he had his own self-importance was higher than anybody else thought about him. And we have to be careful that our value or our self-importance doesn't come out of what other people think of us. Would you agree? Your value is not determined by what other people think of you, whether you're sitting in the back of the wedding feast or at the front, that really shouldn't determine your value. There's a couple other questions regards this whole thing. Is not only sometimes do we guard out, claim our value out of what people think of us, but we sometimes think I'm valuable because of what I own. I've got this and I've got that. And it's always the comparison, isn't it? I've got more than the Smiths next door. I've got the jet ski and the double garage and the ensuite. And, and, you know, those type of things can't form your value either. Sometimes our value comes out of um, not only what people think of us or what we own, but my giftings and ability. Now, all of these things are okay to have, but when we place the, our value in the sense of who I am, my identity comes out of the, these type of things, it just goes to show us something that we've really got to be careful of, and it goes to show us there's an element of insecurity within our own heart. Because even the things, even my giftings and abilities are never going to be the, give me the value that I need to live life to the full. Because who knows? I might be a great singer one year and then I'll lose my voice the next and it just doesn't, you know, and if my value is wrapped up in my identity is wrapped up in that, who knows that it's going to be a hard, difficult time for us. And who knows that what we own comes and goes. We can't take it with us. And who knows what people think of us. It can be frivolous sometimes. And it can, people can love us one week and not the next. And if our emotional state is birthed out of what people think of us, what an emotional roller coaster we'll live. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And here we have a Pharisee who takes it on himself to go and sit in the place of prominence because he had an inflated view, I believe, of his own importance. And he's really saying, what I value is being seen as important. And we've got to be careful that we understand that that's not what makes you who you are, being seen as important. You're important because of just who you are today. You're important today because of who God says you are. 
not because of what other people say you are. And Jesus addresses this issue in this parable so clearly. He goes on to say in verse 11, he says, you know, he who exalts themselves will be humbled and he who humbles themselves will be exalted. You know what he's actually, the word exalt is an interesting word because it literally means to lift up. In actual fact, right now, I'm exalting myself. Because exalt, exalting yourself can actually mean to put yourself in a higher position than everybody else. And not only physically am I exalted, geographically located higher than you, but then exaltation also can mean an attitude within your heart. This is the one we really grapple with. Exalted can mean, hey, I'm better than you. When really, I'm neither my height on the platform or my attitude in my heart that I'm better, is, it shows, shows, would have to show, um, if that's what I think, would have to show an incredible insecurity within my life. And I'm not here to get, God doesn't want to condemn you this way. He just wants to open something up because I've got a sneaky feeling, like me, we're all the same, that there's times when we have to answer those questions in our life. What makes me valuable? Is it what I own, or what people think, or my ability, or my gifting, or whatever? Does that make me valuable? And you all know the answer. No, that doesn't make us valuable. But you know what? It wants to creep into our life and sometimes yell out that we're valuable because of those things. I want to tell you this morning, you're not valuable in, in, in because of those things. And then there's some elements of insecurity that when I find that I'm thinking that way, I've got to address. Would you agree this morning? And that God wants to help us to address because I believe the Christian life, we, when insecurities like that want to th come into our life and, and dominate our life, it, it makes us live far below God's very best for us. Because I'm so concerned about what everybody else th thinks and I never get concerned about what God thinks. I'm so focused on trying to meet the standard or reach up to something of someone else or be like the neighbor or whatever. And you know what? We don't openly do this and we maybe don't think it too often, but sometimes in our heart we've got to make sure that we just ask God to filter those things out of our life because they want to destroy us and they'll actually draw us away from God, not take, it, take us to God. Um, the trouble is that we could sometimes, people who continually are concerned about doing the comparison test on their lives or with others, continually find themselves in a continual cycle of, of comparing themselves. And when we, when we feel superior, we feel good. When we don't, when we feel we're not reaching their standard, we feel inferior. And, 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 it's, not a, and it's a roller coaster life story. You know, um, I went to a leader's breakfast. It was a mayoral breakfast about seven years ago. And, you know, um, I was early, so I sat in some, there was some, all these round tables were located around the room, and there wasn't many people there. I, got, I turned up early, so I just went and plonked myself at a table. Uh, and as I plonked myself at a table and sat down, I was only there a few moments or minutes, and the convener or the facilitator of the, the mayoral breakfast came up to me and said, you can't sit here. I didn't say anything. I probably just had that surprised look on my face. She said, this is only for the important people. <laughs> this round table. Could you move and sit somewhere else? I said, um, no problem. So I 
That was all I said. I, that's fine. So I went and sat somewhere else, made sure there was the right spot. <laughs> it was down the back. And then I went through this identity crisis. <laughs> I'm not important. I, they don't want to acknowledge me. It didn't always come out like this, but this is, this is the basis of it. So I'm less than the people who sit at that table. <laughs> and, I, and I just struggled for this moment about myself. And I started to struggle. I thought, what is happening in my life here? And as I kind of, kind of drilled down a little bit, I realized there's some insecurities you've got to deal with, James, about who you are and who you, what you really value and who makes you valuable. Man, it was just like, there was a little nightmare happening. And, you know, and through the meeting, I'm thinking, well, the mayor can sit there. <laughs> you know, that person beside the mayor, I'm just as, you know, and I thought, far out, grow up. <laughs> the truth is, at my daughter's weddings, they let me sit right at the front because I was the father. The true male. I could sit, I was allowed to sit at the front, and all the other yobos got out the back, you know, so, but I was allowed to sit at the front. Here's the point, the truth is, where do you sit this morning? Because we all have to take a seat in life, but where you sit this morning, and it's not so much the locality, you know, the reality is, I'm just glad in this church that we don't have certain seats for certain people. You know what? I want to tell you, if anybody comes before me in church, you're welcome to take this seat. I don't mind. I'll sit beside you, but you're welcome to take this seat. It's not an issue, okay? It's not so much the locality of our, our bottoms, it's the locality of our hearts. And I believe that's what Jesus is addressing here. Because we're all going to take a seat, but where are we going to locate our hearts? <sighs> I'm getting better with this insecurity thing. I'm getting much better these days, but, you know, we're working on it. Do we allow insecurity to rise up and cause us to demand our own way? Because that's what insecurity will do sometimes. It'll do one of two things. It'll make you demand or it'll make you feel inferior and you slink away and isolate yourselves from other people. That's what, that's what insecurity does. Take you into this little trip of I'm important or this little trip of I'm not important. The devil is just a liar. He'll take you one way or the other. And we've got to address it, haven't we? Insecurity will keep people from discovering who they really are. Who they really are. So important. I'm just going to go back here. I don't Because sometimes I write all my notes, but I never stick to them. And I just want to see if I missed anything. I had an identity crisis. Not only with my dinner thing, well, I didn't actually have the identity crisis, not only with my meal or breakfast, but some of you are aware of this story, and it's just such a classic, because I don't know how it happened to me, because I've never heard anybody else of this happen to them. <laughs> but um, about 15 years ago, I would, um, I'd be with Michelle, and I'd turn up at a motel, and I'd write my name, we might have been travelling, and I'd go to a motel, and we'd book in for the night, or, or we might be going to a restaurant where I've got to book my name, write my name down you know, to book the restaurant or be on the phone and I'd say, my name is, they say, what's your name, sir? My name is James Hewitt. And I get this reply, oh, 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 you're not that guy who's having an affair with Di. Does anybody remember that? 
Now, okay, some of you are so young, don't remember it. Di, I mentioned, it's Princess Di, who was the wife of Prince Charles, who was the, um, who, who of course was the son of the Queen of England. And, and apparently, the tabloid said that Princess Di was having an affair with a guy called James Hewitt. So on several occasions, I've found myself explaining to people, I'm happily married, her name is Michelle. I was not in England, I've only ever been to the airport at Heathrow, I've never actually been in the place. I'm not the same guy. And they'd kind of all giggle and say, oh, we knew that, but we just thought we'd ask. <laughs> so there was something of an identity crisis that I knew who I was, but some people didn't know who I was. And then, if that wasn't enough, in the last 10 years... There's a gentleman who's about 10 years younger than me in this city that I think he's left, because I haven't had any more problems with the police, <laughs> whose name is James Hewitt. And so I've been questioned by detectives about a murder. I've been held up when they're pulled over by the police in my car and held, because they're trying to identify whether I'm James Hewitt, the guy that they... Because this James Hewitt has a little bit of a criminal history and he was wanted by the police. I've been rang up by the police and said that that statement that you made about this criminal activity in Gladstone, could you come please and just you know, clarify? I said I didn't make a statement and the whole thing in the policeman's upset with me and I'm saying, no, buddy, you've got the identity crisis. I know who I am, but you don't know who I am. He didn't like that, but that's okay. So... What I'm saying is that, folks, we got it. The devil wants to give you an identity crisis, and it's based around these values of what really makes you valuable. Let's look at another passage of scripture now that'll help you understand something really important. Matthew 16 um, says this. This is a great story. This is the story of Peter and Jesus, and of a significant moment in our. New Testament history. This was, a, this was a, a watershed moment of discussion between this guy called Peter, the disciple, and Jesus. And he says this, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But what? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, first to speak, answers and said, You are the Christ. The son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That was um, his surname in a sense because his father was Jonah apparently. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In other words, you've just had a revelation, Peter. You ever had a revelation? Just a light bulb moment goes on. Peter had one of those. Verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus asked a question to the disciples in this here. He says, hey, hey guys, um, who do they say I am? And Peter speaks up and says, you're Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is impressed by Peter's response, and he replies with, you know what, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. What is the rock? Okay, yeah, we're all on the, pretty much the same track. I want to just, just give you a quick thought here. certainly wasn't Peter. But I believe Jesus was saying on, the, on this revelation that people will have, 
that I am the son of God, I will build my church on, this, on Jesus, what you said, on the revelation that I'm the son of God. And that everything about me, everything about my son is the same about every quality and character he has, I have, God has, and I've put it in him, and he's, gonna, he's the head of the church, and he's the leader. And, and, and when we have that revelation, who Jesus is, we can have a revelation who we are. And when we have a revelation who we are, because you'll notice what Jesus, because often we say, oh, Peter, well done, you said he's the Christ. But notice in this verse, Jesus says, uh, in verse 18, he says, did you ever wonder why Jesus says, you are Peter? Because Jesus wanted Peter to have a revelation of who he was. Jesus wanted Peter to see he's no longer Peter the reed, like blown about by the, the waves and the wind in the, in, in, the, in the river Nile. You're no longer a reed, Peter. In actual fact, this word Peter, if you translate it, means stone. You're solid. It'd be like, you know, some of those mates you say, well, their nickname is concrete. You know, it's like calling someone concrete because they're solid, they're stable, they're steadfast, they're, it mightn't just be their physical, it might be their physical body that you're referring to, but you know, it, it, but the truth is, it's, it's talking about their character. And that's what Jesus is saying about Peter. He's saying, did you realize, Peter, who you are? You're Peter. And on those two revelations, the revelation of who Jesus is and the revelation of who you are that will bring you out of any insecurities that you've ever faced. It can make you free from trying to find value in everything else. But when we, find, when we realize who we are in Jesus and who our, our, our Heavenly Father is and our Savior is, man, that revelation can set you free. I tell you, that truth of He is that Jesus, the Son of God. What a powerful thing. These two revelations... They're both important. Peter declaring who Jesus was and Jesus declaring who Peter was. And you are, and as we understand both, we come to understand the revelations that are important for freedom from insecurities in our life. I want to tell you that. If you can grab a hold of that and, can, and, and continue to remember. Because Peter says, I'm, not, I'm Peter. I'm not someone else. I'm not reed-like. I'm stone-like. I'm secure. But when you first remember Peter's encounter with Jesus and that very first encounter was in that boat that day when Peter's cleaning his nets. Remember, he's cleaning his nets and Jesus had just spoken to a multitude and Jesus turns to Peter and he says, come on, let's go fishing. And Peter says, oh, I've fished all night and I haven't caught a thing, but on your word, I'll go. So he goes out fishing and he catches such a multitude of fish that he can't he can't contain the fish that's in his boat. And so Peter, as he's pulling the fish in, finally looks up at Jesus standing there and he says, away from me, Lord, because I'm a wicked man. What's Peter doing? He's, 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 he's doing what insecurity does to all of us sometimes. It wants to isolate us from the very person who can give us security. It's taken us away from Jesus. And Peter acknowledges he's, he, he is. He's done things wrong. He's said things wrong. He's been not a nice man. And now he's with this man that does miracles. It's surely this man is incredible. I think the revelation of that Jesus was the Son of God started right there in the boat, right at the beginning of the gospel that Peter had. And he says, I just need to be away from you because I'm not like you. But you know what? We can be. That's what Jesus, you know, you don't have to reach a standard of someone else in this world because that's the wrong measuring stick. You just need to be like Jesus. And you know what? You might say, well, I'll never be that. And you're right. We never will. But the reality is 
through the righteousness of what Jesus done for us. He took away our sin and our shame and our past. When God looks at us through Jesus, he says righteous. He says whole. He continually sees us whole. He continually sees us in our preferred future that he wants us. It's just that we want to live in our preferred past and drag the past, all the rubbish with us. We've got to let it go. You've got to give it up and see who you are now and what God speaks about your life. And when Jesus spoke to Peter, he says, You are Peter on this. You are a stone. And on this revelation, I believe, of Jesus Christ and your revelation of who you are in Christ, I'm going to build my church. And even the devil and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. They can't because of the revelation of the truth. There were two cows grazing in a field one day overlooking a highway. And as they're standing there munching on the grass, they look up and there's a milk truck goes past and it says on the side in big letters, homogenized, pasteurized, vitamin A added. <laughs> and, one, and one cow turns to the other and says, kind of makes you feel inadequate, doesn't it? The devil wants to continually proclaim certain thoughts and, about you and say exactly the same. You're inadequate. You don't reach up to the standard. And sometimes, as I said, it'll either take us away, feel inferior, or sometimes take us up and proud. And you know what I'm going to tell you this morning? You're not inadequate in Christ Jesus. You don't have to um, hang on to the proudful lifestyle. You don't have to hang on to the inferior lifestyle. God says if you would just... Allow me to continue to infiltrate your world, continue to um, come into your life, continue to help you see who you are. What God always created, God always created Adam and Eve perfect and wonderful and stable in the Garden of Eden. Sin, disobedience just took us down the wrong path and we've been paying the consequences ever since. But I want to tell you there's good news. Jesus Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law. He came to redeem us from the slavery of sin. He's come to give us, bless us and, and give us the joy of our salvation. He's come to give us a hope and a peace. He says things about you. He says, you know, I've got a future and a hope for you, and not to curse you, but to bless you. That's the kind of God that he wants over. And this is not some positive kind of speech. This is the promises of God. This has not just been a nice motivational. This is God's word. This is the truth of it. But if we keep comparing ourselves, it keeps your attention focused on what you haven't got, when being secure keeps you focused on what you have got in God. And so we all have little insecurities. I want us to understand that, the reality of it. But as, we, as we, they come up, it's time to address that and say, God, I want to give that to you. I don't want to think that way anymore. I don't want to yield that way. Uh, you know, here's some signs of healthy identity. No, these are just, just grab onto these. It says, no, you don't, you, if you've got this healthy identity, you don't need to impress others by sharing results and talents. I came into church this morning, you know, um, some of us from our church go running on a Saturday morning and we get, you know, it's a club and we do all that. And, and, and Stu on the platform, because he went running, he says, oh, what time did you do yesterday? And I said, oh, oh, I'd done such and such a time. And, you know, and I didn't do it like that, but I thought, yeah. Why, do I want to, why am I so eager to tell him the time? Nah, well, 
You know, and I just, you know, I'm about to preach this and I'm thinking, oh, you still haven't, you know, you still got to work through. You know, we all have those elements that we need to sometimes get others to recognize us at, or give us recognition or position. Um, you know, if there's healthy identity, we're able to compliment others sincerely. If there's healthy identity, um, um, you're willing to accept imperfections in your life and that you won't get it right all the time. That's the big one, isn't it? It's okay. Don't accept the fact that, oh, I'll just keep on doing that. No, no, no. But just accept the reality that you're not perfect, but you have a God that you can draw near to. Um, If we're healthy identity, you don't need to compete with others for recognition or position. If you're healthy identity, able to compliment others sincerely. Um, I said that. Healthy identity, able to ask for advice. (laughs) If you're healthy identity, you don't judge others on an external basis. Or may we, may we never, you know, come to church saying, well, you know, I look a little bit better than the other person this morning. You know, may we always just have a heart to say, you know, God, we are all God's creation. And we come into this place saying, whoa, well, I've got that better than that person. No, it's not about that. Would you get rid of the stinking thinking? If you've got a healthy identity, never constantly put others down. You don't do it. Healthy identity, able to face conflict and deal with it and not run away from it. Oh, gee, how I've had to learn that one. Not run, but just embrace it and help people and help myself. So we see how essential it is. There's a, there's a verse in the Bible, Acts 17, 28. It says, really simple, for it's in him. Who's the him? Jesus it's in Jesus we live and we move and we have our being. It's in Jesus. Why did they put that verse in there? Because it's the truth. It's in him we live. It's not in my value system of what people think of me. It's not what I, you know, the value system of what I have got or haven't got. It's not in the value system of my abilities or my lack of ability. It's not in my value system whether I'm fat, skinny, tall, uh, whatever this morning, it's not in that value. It's in the value that God thinks of you, and it's in Him that you can live and move and have being, have your ability. We're, not, we're human beings, not human doings. And so God wants us to be being in Him more than anything. That's what worship's about, isn't it? And out of the being, we do things for God, but it's always first being with God. And out of that, we find identity. A Bible scholar said this about this verse. He said, he is not only our creator, but he is our environment. And we talk about environments. We live in a healthy environment. We live in a, you know, a lovely environment, a good temper, whatever the environment. But we create the environment for our own life by what we receive into our hearts. And he's saying, you know, the more we allow God into our environment, the better your environment is. It's got love and joy and peace and goodness and self-control and kindness. The more we allow, it's got a hope and a future. That's the environment. And the more we have, we focus on what God has for us, the less we focus on what we haven't got and we really don't need anyway. And the truth is, we don't allow the environment of the world to encroach on the environment of our heart that God, we let God create. Ephesians, last verse. Ephesians 1.11, NIV says, In Him we were also chosen. Isn't that good news? He chose you. You're chosen. 
You know where you're chosen? You're chosen to come. You know, if Jesus was here this morning, you know, if for some reason the prominent seat's right there, which I don't personally think, I sit there because I want to lead the church, that's all, in a healthy way. That's why I sit there. You've got to have a leader at the front, otherwise I'm not a leader. But if that was the prominent seat, you know, Jesus would take everyone and choose you and say, come and sit. And if we could get the whole church just in the prominent seats, he'd have you all there. It doesn't really matter. There's no real prominent seats in this church, to be honest. Because from the back to the front and the side to the side is all prominent because he chose you. So whatever seat you take, realize he's chosen you. And then it says, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In other words, he's got this wonderful purpose for you. And I know it's a discovery of that. We don't necessarily all of a sudden, you know, and that's another sermon, the predominance and predestination and all that. But the reality is he's got purpose and he's got plans. Here's the verse and the message. I just had to show this to you. This is just great. It is in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. Same verse. Don't you like that? Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us and had designs on us for glorious living. I love that. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in Jesus. Can we stand this morning? What a wonderful saviour we serve. What a beautiful name it is. That's a good song because it declares exactly what we need to focus on today. What a wonderful saviour. It's not my job. It's not my friends. It's not my ensuite. It's not anything that gives me value. It really is my God who gives me value. It's Him that I can live and move and have my being. And if there's one prayer in my heart, and I believe God's heart, is that we would just acknowledge the insecurities that we do have. I'm not trying to put anything on us, but I just want us to understand time now, every now and then. There'll be times when we just have to address those things. And if we can just make a commitment today to God to say, Father, if there's anything in my heart that would be insecure, and thus it comes out as, you know, comparing myself and, and attitudes that I write. Well, God, would you just help me to deal with it? We can be honest with God about that. That would be just a great step this morning. And we're not trying to put ourselves down or feel inferior. No, we're just trying to face reality. That God wants us whole and healthy. And He wants us to experience His best. And I can't experience His best when I'm so concentrated and focused on what I should have and how important I should be and all this other stuff that's not important in your life, but when you're focused on Him and Him. And the real test will come in your life when someone gets promoted before you. You know what I'm talking about? When someone gets recognized and you don't, oh, that shouldn't ever happen. But you know what? God says, come on, that's the test of time. So with today, I'd just love to pray for you as we stand here this morning before we close the service. And I want to pray that God would just help us to be honest today about our lives and continually ask Him. And, and, and not, not, you know, 
belly gazing or navel gazing and trying to work it. Oh, I've got a problem. Got a problem. No, just letting him reveal to him his heart for us and his love for us. And you know, I find when I put Jesus, when I give him praise and worship, so often after that, God just can reveal. When I'm open to him, he reveals the stuff he wants to reveal to me. So often sometimes we go first and we say, oh God, I'm just a, a worm. <laughs> I'm just no good. I've done this. No, no, don't start with confession. Start with praise. Start with worship. And as you do, then often he reveals stuff or through your attitudes as you go through life at work, at school or wherever, there's things will come up and you just think, oh, well, that's not a good response. I've got to work that one through. So Father, today, we stand as your body. And my prayer would be that we would have a revelation of you, Lord Jesus, of your incredible love and who you made us to be. You're the Son of God. You're the Redeemer. You're my uh, avenue of forgiveness. You're my mercy and grace. You're everything that I need. You're my hope and my future. Help us to have that revelation of you. Help us to understand that. Holy Spirit, you impart that this morning. What I can't do, you do, please, Lord. And as we have that revelation of that, help us to see who we are in you, Lord. Loved, redeemed, encouraged, blessed, cared for by you, God. Father, help us to have that understanding and have a revelation that I am James Hewitt, not someone else. I am who you made me to be and we're going to continue to be. Father, and for all of us today, we'd have that revelation. Father, and help us when things come our way that challenge us or the things that just bring up the yucky stuff. Help us to acknowledge that because we all have it. We just need to acknowledge it often. We don't need to cram it down in our hearts further and not acknowledge it. Help us to be honest with you and help us to deal with it when it comes. Father, let us be a people that are honest with you. And Father, we'd walk in victory and strength in that. And Father, I ask this in the name of Jesus over your church. And everyone who would agree said... Amen. Can we just sing this song this morning as we close the service? Come on. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Christ, my King, what a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. What heaven without us? Says you brought heaven down. Sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is! 
What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is, to this. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. Wonderful name it is name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you, Father. Worship you, Lord. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Father. Not hold you, the, the veil tore before you. It's the boast of sin and grace. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You have no equal. Yes, Lord. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is, God against and against. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. It is. Unnameable name it is. What a name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. What a name of Jesus. Powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Father, we would just realize that our focus, help us to focus more on that name than any other name. The weapon that wants to form against us, we don't need to focus on it. We need to focus on that name. We thank you today. Father, we thank you for each other. We thank you for your church. And we just commit ourselves, uh, Father, as we uh, just go our own way right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love you, church. Um, yeah, give the Lord a hand. He's incredible. Father, we love you. Yes, Lord. Father, we thank you. This is what we're going to do. Um, about quarter past, I, we're going to just meet for our AGM. It's about 15 minutes, so we'll just... But please have a tea, coffee, whatever, um, a bicky, uh, and those who... Uh, 
um, please, you're welcome to stay, but we're just going to meet over generally in this area here for our annual general meeting. Just, uh, that'd be great. Thank you very much. If you could just be prompt on that, that'd help us finish in the appropriate time for lunch. <laughs>